Hello everyone. Um, this is Simon. You're... I've done that to death. Hi, it's Simon. I'm a science communicator. I'm going to talk for a while while I'm driving home. I'm just getting set up so I can keep an eye on my levels while I'm driving. Alright. Hello everyone. How are you? It's been a little while since I've done a podcast because largely my mental health has been in the bloody toilet. Alright. What are we going to talk about tonight? Well, while I keep an eye on oncoming traffic so I can pull into it without dying because there's been enough people dying on Queensland roads lately. I don't want it to be me. One of the... Essentially what I'm gearing into tonight is something I've touched touched on a lot in my, my, my podcasts previously. Largely it's psychology and largely it's human interactions and the larger social constructs and things like that. So... I want to talk two things, and we'll start, and they kind of start off separately, and then we'll join them together. The first thing I want to talk about is this is kind of a little bit of a primer on science. What is it? What is it, and how do we do it? Scientific method is relatively new. We're looking probably about two hundred years, if not more. There's a better number on the internet. I'm driving. I'm not going to look it up right now. And characterised by people like Sir Francis Bacon back in the days. Now. The point of the scientific method is to try to remove bias. Broadly. There are other... There's many interpretations. But the simple stuff is... We are human. We are biased. Like... Don't even get me started on the crazy laundry list of ways... That our innate psychology is just crazy biased. So we try to remove that. We try to... To, to, to get good data, we try to get good numbers, we try to get good hypotheses and verifiable, and all these words, and I'll get into that in a second, and ultimately the point is to try to ensure that what we are looking at, the question we are asking, can be answered in the most succinct way, because we don't know everything. We have no reference model that we can check our answers off of. So we have to be careful that we don't engage in biases so we lead us down paths that take us away from closer to being closer to truth. Now, as I've said in many couple of I think a couple of podcasts ago, there is no such thing as absolute truth. There are a few key markers in the universe. So like the speed of light is a is a constant. I'm sorry, not markers, constants. Um, the laws of thermodynamics, a few other bits and pieces. Um, there are ways that these bend, especially around black holes, um, and there are ways where these are concrete and infer the nature of our reality around us. But really, most of what we do has multiple ways that you can be able to look at it, you can understand it, you can frame it, you can perceive it. So we as fleshy, tapioca-brained humans need to find a way to reduce those sources of error. And that's science. That's basically all it is. It's a tried way to get as close to empiricism as humanly possible. And empiricism is just good, valuable data. That is cool. I'm sure there's a better definition somewhere. So that's the scientific method. Now, there's two broad ways of engaging in science. There's quantifiable research methods, which are essentially boil down to stats and numbers. So you get a data set. You do your you ask your hypothesis. You create a uh, sorry. You create your experiment. You ask a hypothesis. You create a null hypothesis. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, you engage in your in your experiment. You get your data. 
and then you subject your data to statistical analysis to try to work out if the probability of the meaningfulness of your data is due to random chance. If you've ever encountered a concept called a p-value of 0.05, this is what this means. It means that there is less than a 0.05% chance that the data you've collected is purely random. Okay, so I'll say that slightly again. Quantifiable research methods look to create studies that can be quantified that the probability of the data you've collected being meaningful and not just random noise is 0.05. That's The likelihood is less than that. All right? That was a really bad explanation. <laughs> On an aside, people have been commenting at work all night that I look exhausted and I've been saying, yeah, I'm doing a really good facsimile of a man that's awake. So half this podcast is because it keeps me awake while I'm driving home tonight. So I'm going to misspeak constantly. So that's quantifiable research methods. There's more to it than that. And with any of my podcasts, there's always more to it. I'm doing very broad strokes because I don't have a bloody reference material in front of me. And my memory ain't that good. So this is the broad strokes. Qualifiable research methods, qualifiable, sorry, stem from how do you create empiricism and, and um, good data and how do, you, how do you create things that you can rely on as being close to empirical truths when you don't have numbers, when you can't measure things that way. This is kind of the, what has been touted as the difference between hard science and soft science, but I think that's a bullshit designation. Qualifi- quantifiable research, sorry, qualifiable research is how do you do science? How do you research art? and yet still produce empirical knowledge. How do you hold your same... How do you research culture and just the vagaries of culture and still keep yourself to that... the same benchmarks that other scientific disciplines do? So that removing bias, which you cannot... It's more difficult to do with numbers because... With quantifiable research, if you don't get a good p-value, or if your stats are off, you've got to read it. You can go back and you work out your um, experiment is not right. You have too many variables. In qualifiable research, you don't have that, so you've got to figure out other ways of doing it. And there's things like grounded theory, phenomenology, heuristics, herm- sorry, hermeneutics, um, and. Yes, my partner will recognise all these words because I've learnt all about the same time that she has. I was only taught quantifiable research methods because I was a biologist and a geologist. We don't use qualifiable research methods. So, yeah, and it's a bit trickier to do. They're a lot more complicated, they're a lot more nuanced, and they're a lot more modifiable, and you might need to modify them to fit your experiment because your data set is weird or what you're trying to do isn't the right way and and you know god forbid you're trying to research something in a vacuum like my partner is doing because that's just really hard but it's doable and so again it's the point of this scientific method qualifiable research methods is to get at this closest to empirical truth or epistemological truth as possible knowing you'll never get there but getting as close as you can while removing as many sources of bias and error as possible so that's at at the absolute that's what science is is it's removing sources of error and sources of bias there you go 
The second part I want to talk about is... <laughs> this is going to seem wildly unconnected. The protests in America about free Australia. <laughs> now, I'm laughing. And it is dumb. Um, and these guys, it's, you know, we as astroturfing and they're inspired by far right. And there's actual, probably, there was literal Nazis in that freaking protest. But, and you get guys, there's guys all over TikTok doing videos about, oh, I have to free Australia. There's one guy in particular. And he's copying so much shit. But it just causes him to double down. He's just going back, he's just coming back and saying, hey, you know, um, uh, no, I'm right. You're wrong. Even you people from Australia. I've never been to Australia, but I'm still right. So let's look at why I want to talk about this. There, it's, it's an element of a sociology. So culturally, Americans are very insular. They don't tend to think too much about the outside world. This is not the entire population, but in this issue, the people that are thinking they need to save Australia, this is what's playing, uh, playing for them. They're convinced that their way is the only correct way. Ergo, everyone else is wrong. That America is the only country worthy of the title of being free, even though it ranks lower on global freedom indexes. It's pretty much the only the only freedom you really have in America is to die of preventable diseases because you're poor. So, but why do I find this disquieting? These protests disquieting. It's the same thing about the protests in Melbourne that occurred as a result of forced, as mandated vaccinations. And it's very important you keep the wording right here. Mandated, not forced. Um, because, you know, people in certain sectors, construction, healthcare, education, you know, being mandated to get vaccinated, otherwise you can't return to your job. Which is... Sorry, everyone's just rapidly slowing down, which is terrifying. Um which is legitimate. You know, you want to protect people from this virus. Even with vaccinate, even if everyone's fully vaccinated, you need to protect people from infection. So, yeah, it's important that all of the certain sectors get vaccinated, but some people don't choose to do it. Some people don't want to do it. Some people are scared of it. Some people are, you know, the, the, the ideologically opposed to the idea of vaccines. The, and there is a there is a moment, and there is a portion of the population that medically cannot have the vaccines because they have anaphylactic reactions to it, or a component of the vaccines, or their health is just of a way that it is going to be seriously problematic, potentially life threatening to have the vaccine. Um, I'm aware of this because my partner falls into that second category. She has quite significant immune immune um, issues. So, we want to vaccinate, like, yeah, okay, go back to America. I'm doing that thing again. Go back to America. There are legitimate things one might be pissed off about in Australian, the Australian political scene. We've seen the new ICAC in New South Wales take out, you know, a whole bunch of folks now. Gladys Berejiklian, just um, at the mention of the investigation, resigned from both the leadership and from Parliament had another guy resign because he wanted to enter federal politics probably because there's a chance to get out of it uh, another person designed but then John Barillaro resigned without even being named now he's just enough of a bit of a scumbag that he's probably going to be in hot water somewhere and from an outside observer New South Wales on both sides of the political aisle is rife with corruption just bad always has been really so 
And now there's stuff in going Victoria with Daniel Andrews and the firefighters a couple of years ago, and he hasn't resigned because he probably doesn't have, he doesn't have to. Resignation isn't only. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that because that's not for here, and I'd need to have the stuff in front of me because I'm not a legal expert, and I don't want to misinform. If we had a so yeah, going back, there's, there's things you want to complain about in Australia, like our current federal government are just mind-bogglingly shit and corrupt. You know, we desperately, desperately need a powerful federal ICAC right now. But God forbid that ever happened because politi- politicians will be held to account for the smallest misstep. But anyway. And, you know, the capitalist model is inherently anti-human. It's anti-dignity. It's anti-healthy life and mental health for those on the bottom two-thirds of society. So you might have legitimate grievances with a government, but then you get these fuck knuckles in the United States turn up and say, well, Australia is a police state. Why did I have a New Zealand accent? I don't know. Anyway. So Australians are police state and, and, you know, you're not free and it's a totalitarian government. And this is why I think the more that you have far-right infiltration of protests outside a union building in Melbourne that start fights and throw bottles full of concrete and I do not buy for a second they were all tradies, you know, perfectly white shoes, runners, black hoodies and brilliantly clean brand new high-vis vests are not tradies. It's not like there's a dress uniform. They're being hijacked for a reason. The next time there is a legitimate progressive protest, say about fucking climate change, the police will come down on it like a ton of bricks. And that's the point. These protests in America and these outspoken right-wing pundits in America claiming, you know, Australia is a police state and all these things. A, it's diversionary. It's taking the attention away from the horrifying things that are happening in America because of COVID. I mean, Florida. Jesus Christ. If you're interested, and if you're my friends, you're listening to this, you probably already know. Look up where the COVID, mass amounts of COVID deaths are happening in the United States, and then overlay that with a map of Republican leadership. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a thing. It's funny. Um, It's partially diversionary. Get them, get the public people thinking about something else rather than the piss poor job Republicans are doing. And they've all become Trumpers now, so uh, big conversation there. The psychology, and now the larger point, and now why science, is to get more emotion into the argument. Now, when people of colour are being incarcerated and killed and detained in record high numbers and you want, you protest because that shouldn't be happening. That starts out as an emotional decision. Okay? But very soon, that turns into a rational decision. Well, hang on, no. subset of our population is being treated abysmally. We should do something about that. Our culture as a general rule has decided that compassion Uh, sympathy, empathy and dignity are important attributes. They don't fucking mandate it and it really appears just to be for white men, ideally, but they've said that at least and especially the religion, those of religious, they tout those values as well. 
So it becomes, you're protesting against black people being incarcerated and murdered, and it becomes a rational decision to do something about it. That's when you come into science. You try to remove bias, you try to see the way, you see the best way that, you, you look at the data, uh, is this happening? You remove all your sources of error. You look at it more objectively, is this happening? You go, yes, absolutely it's happening. People of color are being targeted and they're being killed. And you let's do something about this because it is now demonstrably and rationally and verifiably shown that this is a thing that's happening and we should do something about it. Now I just need to slow down a bit because there is a guy right up my fucking ass. Don't understand Queensland drivers, they're fucking lunatics. Anyway, so that's now totally off my track. So you do, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, Black Lives Matter and um, being rational about the decision. Climate change is actually a thing, but it's become an argumentative, emotional, political thing. COVID responses have become an emotional, political, ideological thing. And that is by fucking design. Because if you make it an ideological issue, if you make it an emotionally charged political issue, you can separate people with it. And then you get us versus them, people aren't thinking clearly, and then you can do whatever you want. And we're talking about them being people in power. And I'm not suggesting some grand conspiracy theory. Humans are very, very easy to manipulate, and people in power want to stay in power. That's all pretty easy to determine. So if we approach... So we're literally at odds. Science shows us this way where we might generate data and theories and hypotheses and ideas that are as close to true as we can make them without being able to know that they're true. Like, we don't know the answer. The thing is, in science, you can never show that you're right because we don't know everything. You can't... This is why science doesn't inherently prove anything. It just shows evidence for an idea and makes a, it matches a theory, it matches an idea, and you just work from that. Because you can't demonstrate that you're right. There's no omnipotence anywhere. We can't know that we're right, so we have to operate as if we think we do. As soon as you introduce emotion into the equation, you lose the ability to be rational. You lose that ability to be empirical. Um, and so climate change has been demonstrated over and over and over again to be a perfectly valid empirical concept. A lot of the details still get figured out and changed on, on multiple levels, but it's there. Lockdowns, shown to work. COVID vaccines, shown to work. And for those people that think, oh, it hasn't been tested, oh dear God, there's like almost 7 billion doses of vaccine gone into people's arms across the world whether one or two doses and, and just it's one of them and all the data's been kept it's one of the most well researched medical interventions in human history like, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole anyway so this is where we get to psychology and we as humans are biased we have cognitive biases our animal brain is not very good at not thinking emotionally because 
Emotional thinking protects you from tigers. Rational thinking doesn't. So all of the rational thinkers got out by tigers. That's a really bad analogy, but there you go. So we're bad at it. It's hard work, but we've got to try because it's what builds society. It's what, sorry, not society, civilization. Society designed to help protect our giant-headed, like, undefended babies. That's society. But civilization requires rationality of parts. Also, but I'm now digressing because I'm so tired. What these protests, these these outspoken critics of Australia and Australia's lockdown and COVID responses are, is they polarise people. The whole point, and we all look at Fox News and we scratch our heads and we go, why? Look at the Courier Mail, the Herald Sun, the Australian most of the time. Anything Rupert Murdoch gets his grubby little fingers on. And you go, why? Why is he doing that? He's polarising people. He's removing rationality. He's removing forethought. He's increasing emotion. That's the point. You protect entrenched power structures by removing people's ability to rationally engage and form collectives to oppose it. So it's literally about preservation of power and ideology. Like, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. Because why else would, when faced with the overwhelming data supplied by climate change, would you fight against it? Would you put your whole ideology in opposition to it? It's because you're protecting something. That's all it, it's all it can be. Something that would be dismantled if we tried to fix the world and make it climate and fix climate change. Something that would be dismantled. You're trying to protect that. It's all I can think of. It's all I can ever think of about that. So, this is why I feel that there is an extra layer to the protests. The, the ones in Melbourne, all of the anti-lockdown protests, all of the really, especially the violent ones, the stuff that's going on in America about free Australia. It is more of this protection just from different sources. It is, it is disconcerting in this extreme to see how far right-wing nationalism has penetrated our society. I mean, it was always there. It's just now become militarised in a way. It's, it's terrifying. And I mean, I live in a bit of a... We all live in a bit of a bubble. I do live in a bubble. I, I, you know, on Facebook, I don't see things that upset me. On TikTok or Instagram or all the other social medias, I don't see things that upset me. I like to see the things that align with my values. And so the algorithms will only show me things that align with my values. If you ever find yourself in right-wing conservative TikTok, it's a really fucking strange place. Like, whoa, it's odd. Those people... They're giraffe. I'm going to start calling them giraffes because the length, of, the, the leaps of logic that they make, the ideas that they can connect and seem perfectly reasonable, they're oh, idiots. Anyway, so what it comes down to is, 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 is ultimately is psychology. We have these brains that are, are very bad at, at rationality. We have these brains that are much better at emotional thinking and snap judgments because that's for evol- you know, evolution reasons and <coughs> we're, we're, we're trying we're kind of entering a period now where that's becoming a very relevant discussion like how many people 
All right, well, let me put this another way. I am terrified that some anti-vaccination fucktard, when the country reaches 80 or even 90% at open uh, vaccination rate and even opens up, some anti-vax fucktard is going to kill the people that I love that can't get vaccinated because of medic- medical reasons, is going to kill them because of their ideology. I feel at that point that's murder. You had a choice in which to engage. And now I'm down on to remove myself from the seat. I just lost rationality and entered emotional thinking. How easy was that? I did it to myself while talking about not doing it. That was fun. Anyway. (laughs) We need, as much as emotional thinking and polarization has become weaponized to protect and concrete these positions of power in the world, we need to do the same for truth, if we can. So is there a way, and this is what I'm thinking of, is there a way to create slogans or messaging or communication styles where, I lost my train of thought. Well, essentially what we're trying to do is we need to, in the logic term of this, if humans are shit at thinking emo- rationally and think better emotionally, if being emotional thinkers and being divisive is really, really toxic for our society and going to end up making we mean make no progress against climate change before we're all bloody extinct, then we need an emotional response to that that's as effective as the negative emotional response. Does that make sense? I don't know why I'm asking that question because no one can answer me. Yeah. Anyway, I'm home now. So that's so food for thought. That was kind of very ranty and rambly. And I don't know that I made a lot of sense talking about that. And I joined two very disparate things together. But I hope you learned something about science. <laughs> um, I, try, I don't know why, but I try to remove any sense of, of person, personal opinion. And I regret when I put in my personal opinion about things. I like to be this removed rational ivory tower of just knowledge but you know i'm a human i've got opinions i've got emotions so i should engage with that more anyway so remember when looking at people who these protesting against australia ultimately what that is 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 it's kind of a form of ideological entrenchment these people believe things that aren't true because it's part of their core identity And if you believe that America is the most free place in the world and freedom is your most important virtue and you've got that in your heart and there's nothing else there, you will look at lockdowns and the measures we've taken in Australia to try and stem COVID as being against your most basic ideology. And lockdowns are a reduction in freedoms. They are. There's no, you know, it's absolutely right. A lockdown is a reduction in personal freedoms. But we do it because it's moral and ethical. We make that decision to lock down because it saves the most lives. And it's not about not people. And surprisingly, and this is what most people I feel don't understand. It's the same with vaccines. Vaccines and lockdowns are not about people not getting COVID. At the beginning of when it was when all governments in Australia were zero COVID, and some of them still are, it was about not getting COVID, not getting it in. If you can't have, they don't have the virus, it can't spread. So Western Australia did that. Queensland has done a pretty good job with that. A few other states have done good with that. But it's about not overwhelming your hospitals. 
if you have a nice, steady rate of infection, that these people all need to go to ICU, they need to go on to ventilators, that's fine. Some people will die. Well, it's not fine because some people will die. We don't want anyone to die from COVID. But if people are going to get sick, we want to be able to care for them. And we want to be able to care for all of the other people that are going to get sick with other things while it's COVID. I mean, it's been, what, nearly two years. How many people have been waiting on elective surgeries or or non-serious surgeries or even serious surgeries, but they haven't had them because COVID has just dominated everything? Less so in Queensland, but more so in, say, Victoria and New South Wales especially Victoria, because it's been so long. So the point is to not have that happen. And a vaccination and a vaccination regimen within a population is designed so that everyone gets it, but doesn't die, but doesn't get too sick. You get it? So a vaccination, when everyone goes, oh, but you get vaccines, you still get COVID. Yeah, that's the point. In fact, people who've had COVID and survived and then it didn't turn into long COVID, and then get vaccinated, have crazy high resistance to the, to the virus. Crazy high. If you're vaccinated and you get COVID, we haven't seen good data on what those long-term um, uh, things in your body that make you resist a virus, antibodies, that's the word. We haven't got good data on that yet. That should be relatively soon, though, because... Anyway, we should see that relatively soon. But it should be just... It should be not quite as high, but still high. So ultimately, we want that herd immunity. We want everyone to be vaccinated and we want everyone to have caught COVID so that it's not a big deal anymore. It's the only way to make it chronic. It's the only way to make it like the flu because the flu is not, it kills people. Like the common cold, let's not go to the flu. The common cold has a very low death rate. We treat it really abysmally. We don't put masks on. We go to work while we're sick and infect every other bastard because we think it's nothing. Eventually, we want COVID to be thought of as nothing. I hope that makes sense. The point is not to remove it. You cannot. You can never do that. Human immunity doesn't work that way. Nature doesn't work that way. But what we can do is is try to make it so that as most people survived in your hospital system don't get overwhelmed. That's the reasons why we vaccinate. That's the reason why we lock down. So, there you go. Thank you for listening. I hope everyone has a pleasant time of day relevant to the time period that you're listening this and i'm talking really slowly because i'm trying to pick up my phone and pause anyway goodbye i'm finishing now bye